So, hello. It is day four of our journey through COP26. I'm Sunit Burrs. You're listening to the Net Hero podcast. And today was Energy Day. I say was. It's still continuing to be so because it's running on through to the night. Um, and big news today was all about coal. 190 countries uh, saying that they will help to fo- phase out coal. Uh, you might hear some voices in the background because I'm in the newsroom and journalists from all around the world are finding lots of stories. And I suppose that's been the biggest one today. Uh, you know, the 190 nations is a lot. And they've all said that they will start to work towards getting rid of coal. 18 of the major producers, names such as Poland, uh, Chile, Vietnam, Egypt, countries that are highly dependent, uh, have said that they will back this and they won't invest in new coal. The hope is that major economies will get rid of coal by 2030s and the rest of the world maybe 2040s. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Is that the answer? Is that going to take us out of this? Maybe, and maybe it's a, it's a very, I mean, it is a positive step, but there's a lot more to go. And one of the big draws today was Al Gore, former US Vice President. He's obviously become a big climate campaigner. And I, I was listening to him as he was speaking and two things struck me. He, he, he gave a, a talk about what was going wrong, but he also said something that you'll hear in a second, I think is quite stunning, which is, If we get to net zero, he seemed to be very positive that we can put the handbrake on this change. The more we add to the concentration of CO2 and methane and some of the uh, smaller but still important greenhouse gases like nitrous oxides, uh, the, the more we add to the atmosphere, the more the temperature of the earth goes up. Uh, 93% of that extra heat is absorbed in the oceans, and so we get a lot more water vapor coming off the oceans into these atmospheric rivers that come over the land, and that's why we get these rain bombs, these massive downpours that cause the kind of flooding that we saw in Germany this summer in my home state of Tennessee and places all around the world. Italy just uh, broke the all-time record in Europe for a one-day rainfall, Uh, and uh, the good news is that once we get to genuine net zero with no additional uh, amounts added to the atmosphere, the temperature will stop going up with a lag time of as little as three to five years, and then if we stay at net zero or begin to go negative, the, the half of the human-caused CO2 will come out of the atmosphere and be absorbed by the upper levels of the ocean and the trees and vegetation. Half of it will fall out in as little as 25 to 30 years, and we can start the long uh, process of healing the planet's climate balance. Al Gore there. Now, nuclear power also dominated the headlines today at COP, and there was a big session all about nuclear energy and its role in the net zero future. I personally do believe you need nuclear to work with renewables to give us the base load, and uh, a lot of people here seem to be thinking the same globally. I caught up with Tom Greatrix, CEO of the Nuclear Industry Association, to get his view on whether nuclear's time has finally come at this COP. Is this the COP where from the UK point standpoint, we can say nuclear, your time has come. Well, I think what's really good this year is there is a, uh, a recognition that net zero needs nuclear. And it's not just about the UK, it's about countries across Europe, it's about China, it's about Canada, it's about the US, across the world. People understand that you can do a lot 
with variable output renewables, but you can't do it all. And so nuclear has a part to play in that future uh, energy mix to decarbonize. And that's something now which I think has got much more acceptance than it had even a few years ago in Paris. With the announcement from Kwasi Kwarteng, the extra money coming in, I mean, it's a, it's a significant chunk, the idea of you know, developing more sites. Is it enough? Well, look, we've got a fleet now which in the UK is retiring. It's coming off. You know, Hunterston in the next few weeks will come off here in Scotland. On Tuesday, when David Attenborough was speaking, when uh, uh, Joe Biden was speaking, the power that coming to the south of Scotland was 75% nuclear. It was low carbon, but it was nearly all nuclear because it wasn't windy. So, you know, the part that nuclear plays currently with our current fleet is significant in the UK but it's retiring, it's getting old, it will stop generating in the next few years. So we need that new capacity even to stand still. What is the industry doing about cleaning up the waste? Because that's the real, I think, psychological barrier. Well, the interesting thing I think about waste from nuclear is most of the waste from nuclear is heat. You know, it is completely benign. And unlike other energy sources that belch greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, which is causing the climate catastrophe, we don't do that. We don't get any of that from nuclear. Um, but you do from other energy sources. But what we do with nuclear, uniquely actually amongst energy sources, we're responsible for the waste. The waste, the high-level radioactive waste, which is very, very small by volume, but we know what to do with it. We know what to do with it for years. We vitrify it and keep it in um, concrete casks. And there's a debate about whether that should be stored on surface or underground. But the important point is, one, it's small by volume. Two, no one has ever been injured or died as a result of any... Um, anything to do with uh, that waste. And thirdly, we know what to do with it. We know exactly what we're doing with it. And that is not causing the climate issues which comes from other energy waste. Extinction Rebellion were here yesterday outside. We, we meet loads of eco-protesters and they all like low carbon. They want clean. But they don't see nuclear as low carbon. Your disconnect is still there. Why? Well, I mean, I think this is really interesting psychologically. I think actually it's a bit, it's a bit less stark than that. You've got increasingly climate scientists talking about nuclear in positive terms, or you wouldn't have had that a generation ago. You've got lots of young activists and people that have been involved in Extinction Rebellion who are saying, look, nuclear is really an essential part of, of dealing with climate change. Um, and so people understand, I think, increasingly, we're not there yet completely, but understand increasingly that there aren't any carbon emissions coming from nuclear. It's as clean as any other energy source in terms of lifetime emissions. And therefore, it's an important part of the future because it provides something which other energy sources don't. And the combination of those together are the, what we need and we want to be very powerful in, in dealing with climate change. Well, that's the nuclear conversation and some of you may disagree. So email us, nethero at futurenetzero.com. But water is also part of the picture and hydropower is, I think, like a Cinderella energy source. It doesn't get talked about enough. So I caught up with Eddie Rich, who is the CEO of the International Hydropower Association, to ask why that is. What do you see as a global picture that is holding hydropower back? It's high capital costs. It takes a long time to get permission and then to build. And, you know, if you're the choice as a policymaker or as an investor between three years to build a gas plant or 15 Correct. years yeah. to build a hydropower. But it's a mistake, of course. That's, yeah. that's a wrong look at it, not only from an environmental view, but because once you've built one of these hydropower plants, it, with good modernization, it goes on forever. I mean, we, we've got ones around the world particularly here in Scotland, which are 100 years old, and they're still going fine. And with just good maintenance, they can keep on going for nobody knows how long. I assume you've got the hydropower and you've got to use it. Yep. So 
where is that link between what you're doing in terms of kind of the infrastructure and then the future proofing, which is we want to store this renewable energy? It's great. I mean, the beauty of so much um, hydropower is that so much of it is a water battery. Basically, if you got an impoundment behind a water reservoir, behind a water, yeah. uh, behind a dam, whenever the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining and there's no green energy coming onto the system, you don't have to fall back on gas and the high gas prices and other fossil fuels. Yeah. What you can do is you can release water down there. Right? And if you really want to make it into a water battery, nature's own battery, what you can do is when you have too much wind or too much sun on the system, a surplus, use that free energy, pump it up the hill again. Right? right. You can pump it back up. You can turn the turbine, pump it up, back up, and then when you need it, you can come down. Same use of water. You can do that on river and you can do that off river. It's water batteries where is the place that's really leading the way you're a global organization you said so which country would you say is really doing the right thing when it comes to hydropower we just had our congress which was online but it, it, it yeah. was uh, all virtual but it was going to be and it's sort of nominally located in costa rica a great example you know they've got they've got wind they've got solar they've got geo they've got yeah. hydro they're mostly hydro and hydro sort of backs all of those other ones up. I've just done a session with the minister from Iceland, similar story. Um, you've got Norway, you've got Switzerland, but you can also go to a lot of developing countries. You can go, Nigeria's getting much more hydropower in the system. Brazil yeah. has a lot. The great thing about <laughs> hydropower is every country's got water. Um, okay. So, yes, we've got to get the policies right but more than 50% of renewable energy right now is from hydropower. Yes, water is one of those things. It's going to be a real part of the mix, I think, if we can get over the idea of those infrastructure costs, as Eddie mentioned. On our way through towards the end of the day, I met a delegation from the Republic of Tanzania, and this was, I think, my best conversation of the day. I caught up with Richard Mayungi, who's part of the delegation here, and he basically said to me that this is all great, the talk is fantastic, but we need action. Countries like his want to see real action, and that means money. I came here because of uh, ensuring that we are, as a country, we are part of the global agenda to ensure that we work together to reduce emissions, but also to support developing countries in terms of climate finance. So it's a very important COP. Uh, both in terms of ambitions to reduce emissions, to keep the global temperature below 1.5, and also to ensure that uh, resources, uh, both in terms of finance, technology, and capacity building, are unleashed to developing countries to move together as a global community. There's a lot of cynicism that the money's been promised but never gets delivered. It's now going to be 2023 for the billions that's been promised to developing nations. What do you think of that? You are correct. I mean, there is a lot of cynicism and we are very concerned that the money, the 100 billion was 2020, now has been moved to 2023. We have just seen only 80 billion pledges in total yesterday. But we do believe that uh, leaders, wherever they are, they will, they will see a sense of increasing and honoring their commitments because otherwise this is a boat we are all sailing together. We need to work together to ensure that we can save our world and to ensure that everybody 
is on board uh, to act together as a global community. In one word, do you think this will be a successful COP? I would say yes and no, because uh, yes, uh, we have seen the commitment from the beginning, but no, we don't see uh, the continued commitment to, to meet the 100 billion where we had already thought that uh, that would be uh, said here yesterday. Thank you very much for joining us, Virgin Nazir. Thank you very much. I couldn't agree with him more. I mean, let's hope that we can see a united effort to help developing nations. Uh, before we go, uh, we had lots of great uh, chats today. Uh, we'll be bringing you some more in the next few days, particularly with an artist. He, he's a Taiwanese artist who is working on uh, behalf of the government of Tuvalu. And it's fantastic what he's doing. He's using sort of art about kind of the, the end of you know, end of the planet, the destruction of uh, ice caps to make a real point to try and get young people involved. Tomorrow is actually Youth Day here at COP, so that'll be interesting. Thanks for listening. Uh, we're all very tired. Robert's moaning constantly. I don't blame him. We've done a lot of miles. I don't know how many miles we've done on the pedometer, but uh, a good few. Hopefully you're enjoying this. Keep subscribing. Thanks for listening to the Net Hero podcast. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.